Hello, you amazing people out there, and welcome to the Amazing Action Comics Podcast, where we are all about independent comics and now movies. I'm one of your hosts, Angel, with Phil Pepe. How's it going, Angel? It is going, Phil. I'm really, I'm actually really excited about today's uh, show because, you know, we have our, our normal stuff that we always discuss, which is the reviews of new comics that are coming out for this week. But as promised, we're going to be introducing, you know, this is the first one that we're doing where we're going to take uh, an adaptation of um, a book into movie form. So that, it's going to be kind of cool. I'm, I'm excited about that. I did my homework. I watched multiple movies multiple times <laughs> just so that I can keep it fresh in my head. Uh, but before we get there, welcome, everyone. This is episode 96. Uh, I'm still calling it the Indie Comic Review. Um, and, and for for that sake, for simplicity's sake, we'll keep it that way. But yeah, we're going to be adding some stuff as as we go along. Uh, we are four episodes away from a hundred. God damn it! And my bones feel like they're going to be a hundred. So this is all good. <laughs> so uh, we do have a couple of titles for you today um, in regards to our review. Um, I don't know if we have any news. Do we have any news, Phil, this week? No, not not really, not really. Um, I'm trying to think I of the like- Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say uh, how you, you know, yes, we do call it the, well, you call it the indie comic uh, review. Uh, you know, brevity is not my thing. So I, I always refer to it as the indie comic spotlight and review. I think uh, it opens it up more. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll put that in the back burner. It's, it's stupid long, though. Like I said, brevity is not my thing. <laughs> yes. It needs to be two syllables and done. But yes. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. The only thing that I could think of that actually, uh, I've, well, it's been out for a while, but this whole thing that's going on with Comixology. Oh, yeah. We talked a little bit about last week, the massive layoffs that happened. and Which is leading like into, it's... yeah, which is well, sort of like its demise. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and yeah, we spoke about it being bought out by Amazon down the road and some changes came. And I mean, this is years in the making because it's been years since Amazon's bought um, Comixology. But it just seems that whenever... A corporation as big as Amazon buys out smaller corporations, they just become shit and then they die. Yeah. And then or they get accumulated into it. Was that? Or specifically Amazon, I feel like, because uh, I think the similar thing is happening to Whole Foods, right? That they acquired a few years ago. And I think now that's going to go away too and just all be Amazon foods, you know? Yeah, Amazon Fresh or whatever. I'm not Fresh yeah. Director, whatever it's called. But yeah, it just, it kind of bites because. I, I can see from Amazon's point of view of acquiring more companies, which is basically the, the company itself probably doesn't have as much value as the data that the company provides. So in this instance, it would be, you know, whatever it was, thousands or tens of thousands of uh, subscribers into Comixology now fall into sort of like the Kindle direct environment. Um, mm-hmm. So all they had to do is pay five bucks and now they've got like tens of thousands of subscribers who are probably going to like most of them are going to be frustrated and leave because of what comicsology represented which was mostly just comic books and graphic novels and having easy access to it so it just it kind of bites but you know there was this talk of you know digital comics taking over the world at one point mm-hmm. and we could see that that's probably not going to happen because now there's not even a platform for it um other than you know the big two providing their own platform now which is crazy because they provided pretty much their entire library on Comixology along with independent titles 
and a whole bunch of small publishers. It was it was really well. I mean, when I traveled and I didn't want to carry thirty graphic novels with me, I had my you know my iPad and I could just read on there whenever I wanted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The con- the convenience factor was huge. Um, and you know, I. I my thing as a tangible, right, is I like to have the book in my hand. Uh, also, with my eyes, I feel like staring at a screen for too long does hurt my eyes after after a while. Uh, you, but but as far as like the comicsology Amazon Kindle thing, that had been fully integrated uh, ever since I feel like the acquisition, right? That those two really like everything that I had on comicsology, I also had on my Kindle app or whatever. So that crossover has always been the same. I think what I'm afraid we're going to lose are the comicsology originals. I feel like that's the thing that's going to go away. I think Amazon Kindle will still have the, 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 all the comic selection. They'll have the new comics. I just, I feel the new direct to digital direct to comicsology stuff is going to go away. And I think that's a shame because I think a lot of really good things have come out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. But I, I don't know about the single issues. I think we're gonna see less of that with the with this with the dropping completely of comicsology. And I hmm. think you're probably gonna get just graphic novels. Um, so I don't know about same day sales of you know buying a comic for three ninety nine. And and what's crazier is all the stuff that was bought on comicsology. If if you know you don't have comicsology anymore, does that transfer over into the Kindle, or do you I lose believe all the stuff that you had? And what if you I, don't have a Kindle? Well, there's that. Yes, there is that. But I think at that point, the two platforms were so integrated that that at this at this point, like you couldn't really get comicsology without getting Kindle. No, because I still have the college the comicsology app on my iPad, so I guess yeah, people have to download uh, yeah. the Kindle app. Do you not have the Kindle app on your iPad? No, I use Comixology. Interesting, interesting. Have you checked it out recently? Yeah. Have you noticed a change? Uh, no, I haven't actually. But yeah, I, it just it it sucks. I mean, there was a platform for that digital space, and now it's just being eaten. And it's it's pretty much going to be this, they're running on a skeleton staff, which is going to be like <laughs> till June, and then I think October ish, from what I understand, um, there's going to be like maybe one or two people. That are going to be it. just overseeing it and that's it. And then it's just it's going to dwindle out. But yeah, yeah, but you know what? Like I said last week, if anything, this is going to give uprise to another platform is going to come along and satisfy the need until they become so big and then they get bored out and they walk away and <laughs> go through the whole shit again. It's just a fucking non-stop circle of stuff. I guess Substack is a place people can go. I haven't heard too much about Substack <sighs> But uh, but you know, I guess that's a place for original digital indie content. Yeah, but you know what? It's really hard to navigate because it's more like a like a WordPress kind of thing. So I mean, it's huh. not where you can get a lot of like graphic novel stuff. It's really just writers writing, um, and then I guess that stuff transfers into comics or graphic novels later on down the road. So unless you unless you're subscribed and you get you know more stuff like the art and art pages and stuff like that but for the most yeah. part from what i experienced it's just yeah if, if i want to read prose and i'll go to barnes and nobles and pick up some books and stuff so but yeah who knows who knows but all right sounds so, like sounds like they need some really experienced uh, uh digital comic uh platform designers and maintenance people who might be looking yeah. for a job 
but I don't think I don't think Substack is just for comics though. I think it's for like everything. It's like it's like writers, writers. So they have oh, yeah, yeah. journalists on there. So yes, yeah, so I yeah. think that would be like a, a small division of it. And who knows what what they've been through since you know they went through that whole you know putting these big big names on uh, payroll to see if mm-hmm. they made anything back off of that. So I don't know. I just, I think there's just so much out there, and it's we don't have anything that's readily accessible now. Uh, unless I mean, and, and I'm talking about mostly from an, an independent perspective. The big two are taking their, right. their care of their own. DC Infinite is still there, and I think it's uh, Marvel something um, where Universe. they have their stuff. Yeah, Marvel Universe, but and, and it's not current, right? So you're looking at uh, two months behind. Yeah. So you're always going to be two to three months behind. You're not going to get the most the, the, the latest stuff, but you have ready access to the to that stuff. But now, all right. So where do you go for? Or your image stuff. What do you go for? Your dark horse stuff. What do you go for? You know everything else. It's not the big two. Uh, that's the concern there. So, but mm-hmm. we'll see what happens down the road. Um, okay, cool. Uh, on the brighter side, yeah. All right, so let's move on. So we have um, four books for you this week. I did a lot of reading. Uh, you Phil really did. Do shit. He just sat back and relaxed. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so the titles that we have for you this week are for the week of January 25th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, since you've got one title and you like to talk, I'm going to let you go first because mine are going to be really quick uh, really before quick. we move on to the end uh, of this. So yeah, go ahead, shoot. What, what do we got? We got I got from uh, Aftershock Comics, uh, which we talked about last week. Uh, they, they, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy and mm-hmm. now all of a sudden a whole bunch of titles that had been on hiatus are now out and uh this is a new number one this week called bulls of beacon hill and it is written and created by steve orlando illustrated by andy mcdonald colored by lorenzo scaramella and lettered by carlos m mangual and uh the looking for the mike martz uh editor on this uh on mm. this 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 book so first and foremost i really did like this book a lot there is a neat hook and the art is really good and it's it's actually i think it is not digital art i think it's all hand drawn especially because there's like a page where there is a sc- someone showing us sc- you know their phone and it is all hand lettered, you know, so it's like an internet page, but it's all hand lettered. It's obviously hand lettered. And I feel if this person was doing um, full computer art, that would have had like computerized, you know, text, right? And font. Mm. So I thought that that was really neat. That was a neat touch as far as the artwork goes. It's all very clean and clear. It's a mob story in Boston. And the hook of this is you have a man who's running for uh, city council and he is a philanthropist and a doctor and has made a name for himself, but his, he's got a secret past that he doesn't want people to know about. And his father is actually a mob boss Mm. and his father has actually put a hit out on his own son because of this campaign, but also because as much as the son wants to disown the father, the, 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 the father wants to disown the son because his son is gay and openly gay. Mm. 
And, and so there, uh, there's your real kind of hook, your plot, right? And this all sort of plays out, or at least I think this is going to play out like a mob revenge tale, uh, sort of like you know a, a you know a Mel Gibson type you know revenge movie, you know taking back you know what was taken from him by his father, right? And there's going to be that showdown. I kind of see where this is going. It's going to follow. I feel like a lot of familiar tropes. You're just going to have this, this, you know, openly gay male as your protagonist. And I think that that is a really neat step. I don't know. Does it make waves anymore? I don't know, but Mm. I think it's pretty cool because it doesn't feel agenda driven. It feels more plot driven. Mm. Uh, and there are there's definitely a couple seeds that i don't want to say that they're gratuitous it just does show you know two male characters naked in the shower and then naked eating eating breakfast in the kitchen and there's an interesting dynamic because the main character uh does have an ex-girlfriend who is now actually running his campaign Mm. and there's this whole what i really found interesting about this because i I am a politics junkie. I'm a news junkie. I don't really talk about it because I got sick and tired of just fighting with people about politics. I'll fight anybody about nerd stuff. Mm -hmm. I will go to blows over nerd stuff, but yeah, I don't want to, I don't fight about politics or, or religion or anything like that because you know, that's, that's, I feel that that's personal and, um, and to each of their own. Right. So what I really found interesting was there's a lot of parallels to if anybody who's paying attention right now to this guy who I think most of us do know him as George Santos, but he does have a lot of other names mm. and he's a guy from long Island. He just won a congressional seat or whatever. And, and apparently this guy's past is rife with lies and inconsistencies and, and all this stuff. And, that's exactly what's happening to this main character. There's a, there's a lot of like shade thrown on him because, Oh, you know, we don't really know who this guy is and he says he's one thing, but you know, he's actually something else and, and his stories are conflicting and there's a whole, you know, aftershock known for that back matter in their first issue. There's a whole uh, opposition research file on this guy. And it really, it kind of mirrors a lot of what's being said about this George Santos guy. So I thought timeliness was like spot on with this one you know, to mm. find kind of in that conversation and to do, to do this kind of a story with this guy who's clearly much more likable, at least until we see his dark side, uh, than, than this other man's being betrayed. But, uh, but yeah, it was really interesting, really cool mob story, really cool hook, a uh, great opening scene where it's a father, you're, you, where it's the son, you think he's playing catch with his father. And it turns out it's just the guy hired by his dad to play catch with his son because his dad was too busy doing mob stuff. Oh, so you up like, and really clean art, uh, well-written. So yeah, bulls of beacon Hill, uh, I want to see where this is going. It has a good cliffhanger at the, at the end. And, uh, yeah, I kind of enjoyed it. All right, cool. Well, hopefully the sun gets his way. We'll see. <laughs> All right, Bulls of Beacon Hill by Aftershocks. All right, cool. Sweet. Check it out. Yeah, and, and you know, it's crazy because we went from, like, literally nothing from Aftershock to, like, everything. Because even, like, the, yeah. the, the book Vineyard, which we did last year, I think in the middle <laughs> of the year, uh, yep. issue three just came out yesterday. Uh, which and, is insane. So, and there was already a big lag between one and two on that issue as well. So I think that was double plagued by the, you know aftershocks issue, but also uh, a slowness of a creative team. I think on that. 
Yeah, which is a bummer because it definitely affects sales. I mean, with as much content that comes out, people definitely like lose interest and then move on to the next thing. So, who? Yeah, hopefully, yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, I'm up. So I've got three in a row. So I'm going to start off with the one shot, um, which I thought was interesting, and I called it from the very effing beginning with the cover because it was just freaking <laughs> just reminiscent of these two things. So this is from this is Archie versus the world one shot. Uh, from Archie Comics. Uh, the stories by Aubrey Sitterson, line art by Jet Doherty, uh, colors by Matt Herms and Doug Garbank, and letters by Jack Morelli. Um, yeah, so looking at the cover, reminiscent of two great movies, Mad Max and mm -hmm. the anime Fist of the North Star. And it's funny because when I, I read the letter page, and that is exactly where the inspiration of this story freaking came from. So they did a superb job of, you know, getting that message across with just the artwork. I was like, holy shit, that's Mad Max. And, and well, John said that it was Mad Max. And I said, yeah, but it, there's Fist of Fury in there too. And to read the letter page and, and to see that that was the inspiration for the story, I was like, holy shit, spot on to the artist for that because it just turned out. All right, so that's the good. Here's, here's and it's not bad, but it's, it's just my pet peeve. Um, so for those of you guys that know traditional Archie, they've been around how long, Phil? Since like the oh, forever, right? Uh, at this point, probably, but I want to say the fifties. Yeah, fifties, like, and they're pretty much just a digest. Um, I mean, they still release digest now, which is insane and really <laughs> insane since the fifties. Um, and people still get them, which is even more insane. Uh, but you really had this love triangle between Archie, Veronica, and Betty, uh, his knitwit friend, uh. What the hell's his name? Jughead Jones. Jug yeah, Jughead Jones. Um, and then a whole bunch of other characters in the universe and stuff like that. Um, but pretty much sort of like a, a romance, kind of like uh, a romantic comedy. Uh, it would fall under pretty much that trope. Um, but here you have these Elseworlds stories that they've been coming out with. So they have more of like the, the grown-up line. Um, mm -hmm. They had Riverdale that came out. Uh, then they had these one-shots with like uh, the monster one. Um, and then this Archie versus the world falls under that one shot as well. Elseworld stuff. Um, I picked it up because the art was just reminiscent of Fist of the North Star. And I just love that movie. And to have it mixed in with uh, Mad Max, I was like, holy crap. I just want to see where this goes. So it's, it's a regular 22 page comic. Um, so, and there are ads in it. So that shortens it down even more. So <laughs> then that goes to storytelling, right? How much story can you tell in a one shot? and less than 22 pages. So when that happens, the timeline kind of just moves really quickly. So you have to like fill in a lot of the space of what's going on um, and not ask why did this happen? Because you know that if you ask that question, it's not going to get answered. So I asked three whys. They never got answered um, in this book. And they're not going to mm -hmm. get answered. Do you know why? Because <laughs> it's a fucking one shot. It's a, one so shot. it's a one shot. But what was really cool was to see like the designs for Betty, for Veronica. They even had Josie and the Pussycats in here. Um, and their freaking like band outfit and everything was just crazy. But basically, in essence, what you have is Archie is sort of like the main character. It was like the Mad Max slash um, Fist of the North Star character because he has that he has power. Um, mm. And Veronica has been stolen by his evil twin brother uh, i think his name is reggie and so all he's doing is going across the wasteland 
with Jughead to try to find Veronica. Um, and then a battle ensues between him and Reggie, um, and Reggie wants to see his power, and, and Archie's like, the only way you're going to see it is if you're dead. And so, yeah, guess what happens? He's dead <laughs> um, at the end of this thing. So if you're an Archie fan, definitely pick it up because it's one of these things where it's, it's just really fun. Um, if you don't know the characters in this world, then I would say you probably wouldn't get anything out of it other than really cool art and a fast-paced story. But if, if, you if, know, you don't, if you don't know the characters of the world, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You, you, you could know Archie, but you don't know the Archie world. I, I, I guess. I feel it goes hand in hand, right? I don't know. That's At this point, I guess. after 50 years of existence? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, but then it has like newer characters like Sabrina and stuff like that that are in it as well. It, 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 it does a really clever thing in using them for different organics of the book. So like Sabrina's a witch who's a foreteller kind of thing. And she's a witch in, you know, okay. the Archie world. Uh, Josie and the Pussycats, you know, they're pretty much a band, but their their outfits are fucking ridiculously freaking awesome. Um, and Betty's like a mechanic that he goes to for help for a tune-up to be able to fix his car or his motorcycle or whatever to get across the desert land. But she wants to go along with him because she's in love with him. Blah, blah, blah. So the love story stuff, the triangle stuff is still there. Um, which is great. So there's some really cool stuff in here. I just wish it would have been a little bit longer so that we didn't have to like, like pace through it so quickly, um, mm. especially because it's a one shot. But the character designs are freaking awesome. Uh, the art is great. The writing's pretty cool. Other than just the space, the, the, the timing of the, the book, that was the only thing that I had. I wanted more. That's basically what I'm saying is I wanted more. Right. Um, and they didn't give me a lot. Which I guess is a Weird. good formula to have to want to have people want more than to say, "Holy crap, this is a piece of shit." I could have had less. Um, see, see how it sells before you know announcing maybe a continuation or a series or a mini series. Sometimes these things are like ads for that. You know, I know that uh, Big Two always do a one shot, and it's like, "Oh, the story continues in this series," you know, uh, but nothing in that one. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, but they've been doing these one shots. For a little while now and this one just caught my eye and i said you know what i need you to just yeah. pick it up so yeah archie versus the world if you're an archie fan pick it up i mean if you're at mad max or fist of the north star definitely pick it up because you'll see some great um easter eggs in there which is fantastic um off of that one all right cool um book number two so i read two books from this company and it's funny because we haven't read a lot from this company um source point press this mm. one is called zombicide day one the other book that I read is the continuation. This is actually volume three of uh, Good Boy, uh, yes. which is still, bro, it's still freaking crazy. <laughs> so this is John Wick as a dog just going through. And it's funny because I can tell now even more that this is more John Wick because there's one-liners from the movie that made it into the book, <laughs> which is even more fantastic. So if you're a John Wick fan, Definitely pick up Good Boy because it, it, you'll see the parallels to it, um, but the, the differences as well. And it's just it's it's it's, it's a popcorn movie uh, comic book. Um, it's not going to be the most in depth thing that you ever read, life changing. It'll just be fun, fast and furious. Uh, so yeah, so I read. I think it was issue number three of the the third volume. I mean, it's still going strong for me. Um, all right, so back to Zombicide. So Zombicide Day One. 
Um, the story is by Luca Enoch and Stefano Vieri. The script by Stefano Vieri. Art by Alessio Moroni, uh, Marco Idri, uh, and letters by Marina Sanfelice. Uh, coloring by Paolo Franche. Oh, that's a huge Italian team. I like that. Um, all right. So with a book called Zombicide, you actually think it's just about one thing, right? Zombies. So you would not be incorrect. Uh, it's, it's a zombie book. And I picked it up because zombie I wanted- horror. Zombie horror by Italians, man. It doesn't yeah. come any. Yeah. Well, but it's based in Los Angeles, which is even funnier. Um, <laughs> So, okay, so we've, we've done the whole, you know, dystopian, you know, cursed earth, freaking after devastation, uh, zombie stuff over and over and over. The most infamous one that most people know is going to be Walking Dead, right? Never and heard I, of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Probably more Never so heard of, Archie. of that than Archie, <laughs> yes. So here's the thing, right? So when you have a, a trope, that's been done and way done before, you know, uh, Walking Dead came along and even more after Walking Dead came along, there's going to be a mm-hmm. staple somewhere along the line that sets the precedence for what this type of genre should be like. And I think Walking Dead changed that. And it didn't change it because of the zombies. It did it because of what Robert Kirkman did was that he made the book about the people that were mm-hmm. in this you know, situation. And the zo- zombies just happen to, you know, they play second fiddle to actually the main characters of the book who are still dealing with human, beha- human behavior and psychology. And I think that's where the connection for most people was with that book. Because, I mean, it was drawn really well. It was a black and white book, but the storytelling and the humanizing of those people and making them really relatable to people um, is what sold that book. And so that becomes, to me, sort of like the staple as to, all right, if you're going to do another zombie book, how are you going to hook people in so that they're going to want to read? Because, I mean, it went, what, 182 issues? 152 issues, whatever it was that it landed on? Some weird number? That That's a lot. I mean, you're talking about, what, almost 20-something years of freaking being in existence for a comic book and then have a show that's run off of that. Uh, fucking insane. It's, it's almost impossible <laughs> to do these days. Like what? What freaking indie book goes a hundred and something issues, um, and and stays uh, popular? That's not a Spawn or or a Savage Dragon, right? Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's I mean, of... Invincible did the same thing as well, but that was Robert Kirkman's. So yeah, we're yeah. looking at one individual who did it twice, and if we're looking at Dave Spawn. Davidson did, did three hundred, I think, plus. Yeah, Cerebus, and then freaking. So now it's, but now it's just pictures that are just the same on each book with different text. Yeah, that's why I don't. Know, a lot of people don't really count like this Cerebus and Hell stuff as sort of anything new because I think it's a, some of it is a retread. I don't know. I so far removed from that stuff. I definitely didn't hit all three hundred of the original series. So. Right, but here's the point, though. You can count how many people did it in less than two hands. Exactly. So, it's 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 a feat onto itself, and I'm I mean, we had long. If we look at the big two, they had long runs for a lot of their major books, um, in that respects. But if you look currently, even in the big two, those runs don't really exist anymore. I mean, right. Batman's on what one eighty something? No, one one something, right? One twenty three, one twenty four. One thirty one was the most recent, I believe. But that's going, yeah, but that's yeah. going through multiple creators. I mean, you had Tom Keener sit on it till like 80-something, and then yeah. two more creators have been on since. So to have one creator on a run 
longer than 25 issues is sort of like two creators two creators no less because charlie adler i believe did do the whole run on the art for for walking dead as well yeah um and i think any of his disgruntlement and whatever came after after he was actually completed with the book yeah so it's just it's just crazy yeah um so yeah with that so going off on a stint on there so yeah yeah so what i'm trying to say is that you're gonna basically base your what you're reading now compared to what you've read in the past and and see if there's anything that's different that stands out so with that being said this is what i will tell you the art in here is great the coloring is great the action is Hmm. great the story um it's one of these things where so like the walking dead when it starts, it starts already sort of like the apocalypse has already been done because you got Rick, Gr- Rick Grimes uh, laying down in the, ho- in the hospital bed, wakes up, and then there's zombies that start to attack. So this whole thing has happened. And it's crazy. We never found out how the fucking shit happened, right? <laughs> Ever. It was never part I, of the story. I, yeah, I guess you, you didn't. No, no, you never found out what the origin of this because it wasn't about that. It was really about the people just surviving in the apocalypse, which just drove me insane. It um, was aliens. It was aliens all along, like the uh, the original pitch. <laughs> yeah, the aliens. Holy shit. Uh, okay, so here you get or, almost or Breaking Bad, right. What was that? That's my favorite theory. Is uh, uh, the Breaking Bad is the uh, quiet prequel to uh, to Walking Dead. Oh, it was that all the math. The blue math made, made the people of the zombie. <laughs> That's funny. I, I would dig that. That would be great. Um, all right. So and with this particular book, you almost get kind of like the origin of the zombie apocalypse, but not quite. So you're basically following this one guy, Ned, who is seen as sort of like, you know, this, this weird ass dude who's just driving through the streets of L.A. just like a madman. Um, and over the radio, you hear about these things that are happening all over L.A. And you're, you're supposed to get the inclination that, yeah, the zombie apocalypse is starting to begin. It's like little things that are popping up where, you know, a guy jumped out of a window to escape his wife because she was trying to eat him kind of thing. Um, and they're kind of like laughing over the radio and stuff like that. Um, and what it does here, there's almost like a, a Pulp Fiction-esque kind of um, way of telling the story. Because mm-hmm. of a lot of what he's doing when he's going throughout the city is all these different action um, panels are happening, but they're sort of like mini stories that are being told as he's driving through them. But then when you read a story later on, it brings you back to those moments of what was actually going on, which I thought was pretty cool in the storytelling. So that everything that's in the book is in there for a reason. So it comes up later on. So there's a, a certain lady that they meet later on who's actually a nurse who was dealing with the guy that jumped out the window. And you see that whole thing kind of happening and stuff like that. Um, so the storytelling in this particular book was really cool. I, I like certain elements of it because for me, when, you, when you're going to put something into a book, whether it's going to be part of a drawing or uh, you know, you're going to put a panel in there full of text that you're going to reference later on, um, I think that's great storytelling because uh, you think it might be so minuscule and obsolete, but sometimes... The answers are in those things that you just kind of like overlook, which is great. And it kind of reminded me of like World War Z. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where the, where the doctor's talking to, to Brad Pitt, the main character, and he's telling him about nature and how sometimes you think that nature's trying to hide it from you. 
but she's actually showing it to you all the time because she's a clever bitch or whatever it is. She wants you to know what she's doing. And sort of like, so right in the midst of everything is where you find the answer. So well, I went back and I started to look for even more things. And I was like, oh, shit. And you could find little cool. things that were planted into the panels that come back later on, which is great. Some of them are more obvious than others. Um, but yeah, it, it was really cool to see that. So basically, you have this one guy he's traveling through the city. He's making his way to this one girl who's a waitress um, and wants to kind of save her because he knows every, everything's going Everything's going on. As he's trying to pull her out of the diner that she's in, she's like, let me go. Now I know you're crazy, blah, blah. Zombies jump into the freaking uh, diner. And then everything kind of ensues from there. The only thing that I had a little tiny bit of a gripe with is that it almost felt like a, a video game like a, a, or a book by the numbers kind of thing. Because basically what they did is they left from there and then they found themselves in another situation where they picked up another person. And then they found themselves in another situation where they picked up another person kind of thing. Oh. So it was almost like they were leveling up, finding people and stuff like that. Um, and so basically he finds the waitress um, and he wants to get her to this uh, shelter that he's been building for the last 20 years that will allow them to survive there for over a year with supplies and everything. So he's you know been preparing for the apocalypse his entire life. Um, so I guess he gets to survive. So as they're making their way to the shelter or to the shelter, uh, they pick up two more people along the way that you kind of met in the previous panels, like I spoke about. Um, and it kind of ends with them not reaching the shelter yet, but sort of like seeking shelter for the night so they can start their journey again on the next day. So it was, it was interesting. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to continue with it. I think it's just one of these things where, you know, we've read. A, a, a lot of these before i think what's missing for me is sort of like the uh the why should i care element like why do i care about these people like even with like that initial issue of walking dead i can still remember it i mean you have rick waking up in a hospital all alone and you kind of feel his loneliness because there's nothing around and then you have that explosion of the panel where a freaking zombie comes out and then you're like shitting yourself because it was a really huge surprise. Um, and then kind of everything ensues from there. And that internal like dialogue that he has with himself about like the real worries of what's going on um, kind of made you feel for the character. Um, and I, I sort of like I'm missing that here. I got the beats of everything that's going on. It's really action packed. I think what's missing is that that human why do I even care about these people? Why should I care about these people? Um, and I'm, you know what? I'm going to give it one more issue. And I'm, if it has the same beats, then cool. Then it'll just be like sort of like an action zombicide, zombified, you know, title. Um, but, you know, how, how is it going to be different from anything else? Um, that, that's what I'm always going to be looking for. So, but yeah, I mean, if you're looking for the next zombie comic, because they're still year zero from AWA, I think, which mm -hmm. is, I think, really good. I haven't read it. Um, but from what I've been told, really good zombie book. Um, and then you have a bunch of other ones. What was the one that Scott Snyder was just writing? Uh, I can't remember. But I, it's already on issue two. Yeah, the, the World War One with the freaking yeah, soldiers. Night of the Ghouls, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean. There, I think there might be a second volume of that. Okay, yeah. And then so and then you got Creepshow out, I mean, which is not zombies, but falls in that horror. So there's a bunch of stuff out there. I'm looking for things that are kind of kind of stand out and unique. And I think for me personally, it's going to be 
what's my emotional investment in any of these characters, if there are any. Because I think if mm-hmm. once once you can connect to somebody that way, then there's no choice for them to want to pick up the next issue um, the next month. So I'll pick it up because, you know, there's some, you know, really great art in there and some great storytelling techniques. Um, but we'll see about the story. Um, cool. All right. Last but not least. Uh, so this is from IDW. This is the last Ronin Lost Years. This is from the Teenage Mutant Ninja right. Turtles Elseworld series. So this is written by Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz. Uh, pencils by S.L. Gallant. Inks by Maria Keane. Oh, this was pencils then. Then he got new pencils by Ben Bishop. Uh, <laughs> and then the colors by Luis Antonio Delgado. Uh, okay, cool. So when I, when I first, I didn't look at the solicitations or anything like this. Uh, when I picked this up, a sword, I actually thought that it was a prequel to the series before. So the series before right. was called The Last Ronin, and basically it's, it's an Elseworld. It's, it's actually an adult tale uh, because it tells the story of three of the turtles, the three of the brothers, dead with one brother um, trying to seek vengeance for their brother's, his brother's death along with their father, um, which was Splinter. If you've not read it, then spoilers because it's been out for a while. Um, <laughs> they're all dead. We find out that it's actually Michelangelo um, that has survived his brothers and you know, is talking to his brother's ghost and he's on this journey. I think it was a five-issue mini um, to kill the person that was responsible. Um, and at the very end of that book, he actually hooks up with April, who hasn't seen forever, finds out that April has, April O'Neil has a daughter who's named uh, Casey after her father, who her father died um, as well. And then at the very end, Michelangelo does. What? What? I said, thank God it wasn't a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. Um, and then cut to find out at the very end, he does get his revenge, but he ends up dying as well. So Michelangelo's dead. So this is what led me to think that this was a prequel. But it's not. This is actually a two-fold story, um, which is kind of cool. So you have, it's called The Lost Years, because you're going to have those years of when his brothers and father died to when he actually went out and sought vengeance for them. And it was years between those things happening. So this is telling the story of what happened within those years, leading up to him finding April and then eventually getting his revenge. At the same time, parallel to that, it's telling the story now of April and her daughter after the calamity of Michelangelo falling and what's going on now. And there's actually four new... Within a sequel. Within That's fucking fantastic. So it's cool. And there's four new turtles. But they're they're not identical (laughs) turtles like species. They're different, um, which is cool. So I don't know how the turtles came to be. I have to go back to the last issue and see if there was any mention of them. I don't recall from that previous series, um, mm. but they are in here now. And Casey is their sensei. So she's going to be teaching them, you know, the art of the ninja. Um, but she's having a hard time because it's their four distinct personalities, similar to like the previous uh-huh. turtles. Um, and so April is obviously her mom, but she's playing sort of like the mechanic as well. Um, uh, but you can see who's going to be like the Donatello of the group. And it's a mixture, <laughs> I think of brothers and sisters, um, which brings a little bit of uniqueness to it as well. Um, yeah, I liked it. It was really good first issue. You know, I was kind of thrown aback by the two stories being separate. 
because uh, I was like, what the hell's going on? And then realizing that, yeah, these are the years in between Michelangelo uh, losing his family to seek vengeance and what's happening afterwards with April, um, her daughter, and these new turtles. So if they continue with this, which I think would be really cool because it's not part of like the mainstream line, it's, it's this Elseworlds kind of thing, then that means we're going to get four new turtles in this Elseworlds. Which is cool. I, I, I'm down with that because I haven't followed the original series in quite some time. Right. So I mean, and you have Jenica that's come on board or Jenko, whatever her name is. Um, so there's other mutants now popping up out of the woodworks, which I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. But I, I I dig this because it's not part of that main and it's a little bit more grown up. So there's definitely killing in here, which I love because. Michelangelo does not give a shit. He's just slicing and dicing people, which is fantastic. Um, so yeah, I, I dug it. So you'll you'll get a little bit of info. Now, do you need to read the previous series? <sighs> That's the question. So I would say yes. It would be really helpful because there's okay. there's actually reference to stuff that has already happened um, in that previous series. So you won't be completely lost, but you'll want to reference that material at some point so that a lot of that stuff just kind of comes to light and makes even more sense. Um, it's not a, a, it's a really wonderful read. I mean, it's five issues. I actually ended up buying the hardcover because it was, it was just really good. I, I liked it a lot. And it's a really, I read it in one day just because it was just, it was too good to put down. Um, so I would say, yeah, if you want to pick up the previous series, you can, and then dive into this. Um, fresh and you'll you'll have all that reference material and be like oh shit crap um, or you could just get this and, and it's still it's still a great read um, I, I'm digging this I'm hoping that this is it doesn't say if it's a mini or not if this is sells well enough I'm almost positive they'll leave it as an ongoing because you'll get this story being completed which would be his lost years and you can tell as many stories as you want because it's been years along with now this journey of April and Casey. Um, raising these turtles and and let them you know who's going to be their nemesis and stuff like that um unless there's a female you know daughter shredder out there that he didn't know about that wants revenge for her father um yeah we'll see what happens but yeah uh last ronin lost years by idw really good pick up and read i'm definitely going to continue with this um good stuff so turtles fans go out and get it that is the goods um Cool. All right. All right. So that's what we had for you. So we had the Bulls of Beacon Hill, Aftershock Comics. Phil recommends it. Uh, then we had Archie versus the World. It's, you know, if you're like, if you're an Archie fan, go for it. I mean, if you miss it, you're not missing anything um, too extraneous. Uh, but if you love Mad Max, if it's in the North Star, do get it because it will fill that need right there. Um, and we haven't had either one in forever. Uh, Zombicide, Day One by Source Point Press. Uh, Fast-paced zombie movie, really good stuff with storytelling-wise, but nothing new that we haven't seen before. Um, and the last one of Lost Years, really great stuff, picking up off the last story and then giving us some um, backfiller. Lost Years of Michelangelo, leading up to his revenge of his brother's and father's death. Um, yeah, cool. A really good book uh, week with the books and stuff like that. And then on top of the material that I've already been reading, I mean, a good boy was fucking fantastic. I just, <laughs> I just can't, man. And then I'm catching up on my Judge Dredd stuff, so that's good as well. Ah. Um, all right, cool. So that's it for the indie comic book reviews. We're gonna move into the movie review section. I got. I'm gonna get some new music so that we have like <laughs> different section music. Um, all right, cool. So 
why don't you start us off, Phil? So we're, we're actually going to be talking about Dread, but we're going to be talking about two movies because we, we have to compare and contrast and, and look at, you know, where this goes. So the first movie that we chose for our indie comic review is... Dread. Dread! I am the law. <laughs> Justice time. All right. So or judgment time, right? So, uh, man, this was a great choice. This was a great choice. I loved this movie, man. This is um, this movie. And of course, you can't talk about Dread, right? The one from 2012 without right. talking about Judge Dread from 1995 and what they both kind of represent at the time of of comic book uh, movie making, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. say. You know, Dread, Judge Dread 95 is, I mean, it is a, a, a textbook example of comic book movie excess at the time where everybody wanted to get into the comic game. It was the same summer as, as uh, Batman Forever, which, you know, revitalized, I think, what pe- people felt was sagged a little bit. Um, at least the bean counters, the money people felt mm-hmm. after Batman Returns. Uh, so, so, I mean, you have, you know, you have a movie that really does just look like a movie, right? And you have costumes designed by Versace and Stallone, all Stallone in it up and, you know, and, and, uh, uh, as if they were like flipping through the Judge Dredd comics, or like, oh, those guys look cool. Let's put them in. So you get Mean Machine, who, you know, really doesn't have, you know, he's just there, you know, for a bit, you know. And um, it, it really, you know, a lot of it even, uh, someone made a comment I, I had seen recently about, it, it almost feels like, because like, there was a rumor, I guess, uh, Schwarzenegger was, was considered for a little bit, and it's still on wound up doing it. And someone pointed out, like, oh, maybe it was just another uh, Schwarzenegger daring Stallone to do something, sort of like how <laughs> my mom will shoot happens, you know? And, um, and, and I don't know, there's just there's an aesthetic about that movie where it does, I think, visually look comic accurate to a degree. It um, feels very fake right uh it's one of those things where it's like one set for the for the the a whole city and they just redress it you know every few scenes and um this movie this one we watched dread 2012 is such a great movie because it it feels real right they shot it in south africa and 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 popped in the cgi buildings to really make mega city one huge and when you actually get outside scenes, you get sunlight, you know, you actually see sky and, and then putting the whole movie like locked, you know, sort of like an assault on precinct 13 type thing, making it a real sort of, um, I don't know, like a, a character driven movie, right? All the villains are fully fleshed out characters as well. Even the minor ones, uh, Carl Urban, uh, I refer to him as the Robert De Niro of genre films, right? You always know it's him but he always like transforms himself, right? Does a great Mm -hmm. job acting without using his eyes, right? That's, that's huge. That's such a huge feat. Um, So much about this movie really worked for me. I really love this movie. Uh, I even forgave it for some of the excesses, like the, you know, the magic gun, the gun that has the, you know, the the thing that has the perfect thing for the perfect situation at the perfect time in the movie. Mm. And then, Fail, you know, con- conveniently fails him, but then doesn't fail him, and then you know, so uh, so so that was a little, you know, that was I, I thought that was amusing. 
it's it's a funny movie too there's some really good uh beats in it visually stunning the slow motion stuff is great and it's not done just for slow motion it's narrative driven right because it's the drug they take right and you're seeing everything you know and i thought that was great um yeah i just i did this one is fantastic i know you love this movie you watched it several times in the last few weeks <laughs> do i watched it twice just because it's freaking fantastic and then i watched just dread um all right so cool so let's let's talk about the actual character so we're looking at movies that were adapted from um either you know uh, comics or graphic novels or anything like that and judge dread has been around for a while so if we look at the original creators of judge dread it was created by john wagner and carlos esquera who was the artist and there's some, you know, we could talk about the drama and stuff like that that happened at the very beginning. But this was published by uh, 2000 AD, right? And so Judge Dredd uh, actually, what's that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so two, uh, 2000 AD. But the first appearance happened in their second program. So the issues were called program. So program one came yep. out. Program two uh, came out in 1977. And Judge Dredd has been in almost every single issue because they're still around. So I think mm -hmm. it's like uh, up to program 2000 something, which is ridiculous. And it's, it's a strip inside that, that particular magazine. And then I think... Because they're in, weekly. Yeah, they're weekly, they're which is weekly insane. Comments. Insane. Yeah. Um, that's a feed onto itself. So 2000, whatever it is. Um, uh, but it became so popular that in 1990, it got its own magazine. So the Judge Dread magazine, which I now collect, Me and I think well, was magazine, that? Uh, magazine, actually. correct, magazine, yes, because uh, uh, mega city shit, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> ha ha ha, uh, and I think that's uh, up to like four hundred and fifty-two because we get them behind, and I think I have four. What's the last one that I have? I'm just checking through my stuff here. I think I have four forty-nine, yeah, um, but on their site they they're already up to four fifty-two. So it's still released in Britain. The, the, when we get it, we get it, I think, like freaking three or four issues later, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a magazine that's dedicated just to that particular character, um, which has either one story inside the magazine or uh, across several magazines, there'll be parts of a, of a longer story. Um, mm -hmm. And then recently, I think it has started to introduce other stories from non-Judge Dread Universe stuff. Um, that I'm not interested in, so I don't read those. Um, I just read all the judge that stuff. But this character has been around forever. Um, and do you, do you know what I found out? All right, so here's the thing. So I'm going to be all over the place because I'm really excited about this. Because we are really talking about <laughs> the adaptation. And when we look at the adaptation of, you know, a comic or graphic novel, and especially when you're looking at something that's like, like a dread or superhero kind of, think how, how well does that transfer over and what does that interpretation mean and then you hit something on you hit something really you know on the head um which was you know the time that it came out right so in 95 right. you have that batman forever thing was number one at the box office right so you went from tim burton's batman forever not batman forever uh, batman returns which was you know not super dark but definitely darker than batman forever where mm. uh, Schumacher started to take over and it started to get just a little bit kind of wonky. I mean, you got uh, Jim Carrey playing the Riddler. You got Tom Lee Jones playing Two-Face. Um, and, you know, they were two sides of the same coin. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, well, and remember, in, that, in that, that spot between Batman Forever and, and Batman and Robin, 
which is really only about two years, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted to get in the superhero game, and you had Alec Baldwin in the Shadow, you had uh, Billy Zane in the Phantom, like yep. you had you had all these people wanting to do these cop Dick Dick Tracy, Warren Beatty, you know, you know all these people really trying to emulate that that thing and 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 think of it as a cash cow. And again, like I said before, the Stallone one just really just feels like that too. Right. You know? So here's the thing with the Stallone one, right? Do you know who produced it? Oh no! Walt Disney Studios. Oh, interesting. So it feels like a Disney movie. It was definitely PG thirteen because you didn't yes. see any of the blood. You didn't see any of that. All right. So now let's look at sort of like the story itself, and we look at the characters, and we look at the adaptation. So yeah, so it did seem like a comic book movie, and even in the credits at the very beginning, you have all the Judge Dread pages just like flipping through. Sort of like like Marvel did in the very beginning with their stuff. So, or, or, uh, Return of the Swamp Thing. That opening credit, "Born on the Bayou" by Creedence Clearwater Revival, with images from the Swamp Thing comics. Mm -hmm. This movie's going to be awesome. <laughs> and it was Return of the Swamp. Thing. Yes, yes. So, but all right. So, in that respect, I'm not going to say that this was a horrible movie because I still like it. So, the only thing that really bothered me in this movie were two things, right? One, the helmet coming off. Yes. However, however, as I'm deep diving into shit, there's been a couple times where Judge Dredd has had his helmet off in the comics. Sure, sure. But I think they were taking away kind of thing from what I was reading. So they really, one of the things about the characters that they never wanted to be revealed. And the fact that he was mm -hmm. revealed uh, I don't, there were several explanations for the different iterations of that. So if we look story-wise now, as far as the 95 is concerned, yep, Rico, his brother, because they're right. both clones of Chief Justice uh, Jargis or whatever his name is um, in that respect. And he did judge his brother in the comics because right. of what he had done and stuff like that. So they, did, they went really back early on when they created the story for Judge Dredd. Um, in the comics, Judge Hershey, real character. Um, she actually became right. Chief Justice twice or something like that. Um, and he used it several times in, in certain missions and stuff like that. And I think even the character of Rob Schneider, you said, was in there. I couldn't find him. But... Fergie, I think, might actually. I don't know. I, I didn't research it either. I just I meant to and I didn't. Yeah. But I feel like Fergie might be a minor character as well, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. So the story... You know, him battling his brother because his brother's been locked up and now he's escaped. His brother wants revenge on him. Cool. That 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 all worked for me. You know, being Stallone, being a Disney movie, you had to take your helmet off because you want people to see your face. I mean, no, there's nobody that would have not recognized him by just his mouth because he just has that freaking, that lip curl thingy um, for whatever reason. So uh, that, that kind of took me out of it because it's like... Dread, you just want to see him in the helmet all the time. He's like the freaking Mandalorian. You just never take it off yeah. um, in that respect. But as far as like characters that they use, I think design-wise too, I think design-wise of the characters was, was pretty much spot on. The, oh, the yeah. design of Mega City was really more like freaking Batman Returns, Batman Forever kind of thing. Like these yeah. ridiculous like buildings that are on top of buildings with flying cars that you know are just going to collide into one another. Um, neon it's, everything. Yeah, it's just neon. Yeah, exactly. Neon. And you know what's crazy? At the end of that movie, 
And I know you didn't watch it, but at the end of that movie, do you know what happens? No, because again, it's probably been 20 years since I've watched yes. the whole movie. So Sylvester Stallone years. drives oh. off. Sylvester Stallone drives off in his fucking uh, motorcycle. Um, and then you see him from the side. A side, he comes off from the side. And then you just see all of Mega City and it's his silhouette and sort of like the, the music playing out. It reminded me so much of the freaking ending of, of Batman. The original one in 89 where oh, Batman is just at, yeah he's just standing there you see the silhouette and then you see the bat signal over yeah. the entire city I was like holy shit we're watching Batman all over again they wanted that like that big mega finish at the very end and I was like oh my god he drove to the ledge of I don't know what building so I'm thinking to myself how the <laughs> fuck did he get his motorcycle onto the ledge of this building all right so I know we're all over the place but here so Accurate-wise, as far as like storytelling and stuff like that, you had the brothers, uh, the father. Um, there was some really cool stuff there. Yeah, I think Rob Schneider, for the both of us, kind of just... Because I guess he was supposed to be the comedic relief in it. Yeah. Um, and I respect... If Fergie is in the comics, I don't think he's Rob Schneider. You know, like that's... I think that's a big distinction as well. Yeah. So there was a lot of that. And it was more star-driven than story-driven um i think as well yeah. i mean it did really well in the box office because it made it mon its money back um but as far as like the adaptation from comic to movie i think they did a decent job um especially with like the costume from the neck down like the big <laughs> eagle on the big boots the big uh, freaking lawmaster the bike the lawgivers well they were using lawgivers yeah. number two in this particular one uh, with That's the right. DNA rounds and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, some some really cool stuff. And Diane Lane was in it, so it's it's not going to be horrible at all because she's <laughs> definitely freaking easy on the eyes, especially young <laughs> Diane Lane. Oh, my God. Um, and you can see it. I, like, I watched the movie, and I'm watching Sylvester Stallone looking at Diane Lane. He's like, dude, he, he had horny eyes throughout the entire movie <laughs> for her. It was insane. Um, but, yeah, so there were some cool elements um, to that particular movie. But, like, I think for both of us, I think it was in that genre of now Batman Forever, sort of like that Schumacher essence of where it was a comic it looked like a comic book movie. Um, and you could tell that yeah. it was a comic book movie. Uh, and for that time, I mean, we, we ate it up because, I mean, I am a Sylvester Sloan fan, so I definitely, you know, saw that movie. Of course. And then we go forward, you know, freaking what, 10, uh, nine, what is it, 10, uh, seven years or whatever it is, 2012, and we get Dread. I got Carl Urban, and I'm looking at 2012, right? 2012, guess what came out that year? That was the Avengers year. Fucking Avengers, Dark Knight Rises. Dark so Knight this, Rises. This, this is the top five for that year. Avengers, <laughs> Dark Knight Rises, The Hunger Games, Skyfall, and then Twilight. Rounding out number six was Amazing Spider-Man. So it was still a huge year for comic book yeah. movies. But, but this, we, so this is so yeah, in context, like because this is post 2008, and 2008 was the sea change in comic movies because you had The Dark Knight and then you had Iron Man. It came out and in 2009, right? Right. And it sort of split. It's like it kind of branched comic book movies off into two directions the Marvel direction, right? And then the sort of. Um, direction that dread decided to take that more grounded crime story with comic book uh, accoutrements right right and uh and 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 what i really thought fascinating too is 10 years after dread 
is the Matt Reeves, the Batman, where I feel he was clearly influenced, I think, by the style of Dread mm. and the type of movie that Dread was and sort of the look and the color palette and, and, and how that story was really kind of, I want to, I'm going to say tight and refined, not as tight and refined as dread, but, but for the four hour movie that, that the Batman was, uh, that, that there was a good linear through line. I felt. Yeah. The story, you know, work. Yeah. So definitely once 2008 hit and we had dark Knight returns, um, or dark Knight begins, uh, come out along with the Iron Man, you had a more mature take on comic book movies. Those these adaptations were were being brought to screen, but not driven for a kid audience, but driven towards the kids that grew up when those comics had come out, kind of. So this was, mm -hmm. you know, for the comic book nerds and stuff like that. So it, it did shift. But still, I mean, you look at Iron Man, you look at... Um, begins um the dark knight they're still pg-13 they didn't cross that line where it was like a, a rated r movie and so i think one mm -hmm. of the things that hurt dread was that it was an r movie so in my yeah. mind i think that movie was ahead of its time so if it would have come out say around the same time deadpool came out recently mm -hmm. then i think it would have done much better because we got those pg-13 grown-up movies and we had probably, uh, you know, the, the Avengers was a culmination of years that were building up to that. And then the next iteration, obviously, after that, it's going to be those rated R's. Logan, yeah. Deadpool. We're going to yeah. get another Deadpool that's free, uh, Deadpool 3 that's going to be rated R. Deadpool 2 is rated R. So now you have this combination and this culmination of, you know, more, even more mature um, content that's there. And I think Dread fits right in there. Because it's it, to me, it's it's a really good movie um, in respects to storytelling, um, to the talking to like the more grown up and dark side of, of what Dread is, which is mm -hmm. you know this fucking this, this judge, street judge, who's just no nonsense, who is angry all the time, and we don't know why, but he just harbors his anger and he just takes it out on the people that he's gonna arrest. Um, but he's but he's also you know what he's and this I think is a big distinction I think between the, the two interpretations of dread uh, the Stallone and the Carl Urban is you I, I feel like Stallone you just don't care about him he's kind of a jerk uh, Carl Urban's dread is you, you know you see that growth his acceptance of the rookie right uh, Judge Anderson throughout you see um, you know I don't know you just he does treat people a little more fair and and with a little bit more of a of a good nature as much of a hard ass as he is right but he you know uh the two yeah i always think about the two young kids that 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 have the guns on him and he stuns them instead of just killing them you know right. gives them that chance and i think that that's that helps you identify with the character i think that 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 pulls you in whereas stallone i feel you just don't care you know he's going to get out of the situation because he's Stallone, but you're like, why does he even want to be a part of this organization anyway? And and why do you care? Because he's just not that good at what he does. And and, <laughs> and with, with Urban's dread, I mean, the other thing too is the stakes feel real for him too. You you know, there are moments where you're like, how 
he can't make it through this. He's not going to mm. make this through. This is going to be, you know, we're going to get introduced, but he's going to die at the end. And that's going to be mind blowing. You know, uh, you really felt the stakes higher, I think, in this, in this, again, much more self-contained, um, you know, film that they did uh, versus the other one. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was really self-contained in respects to the location and storytelling yeah. wise, which is great. It was just like reading probably one story of Judge Dredd, which right. was fantastic. It was an open world where like the 95, they went out into the Cursed Earth. Um, it was a much more expanded universe um, in that respects. But here it was really isolated to just one block of Mega City. Yet the storytelling mm -hmm. in the beginning shows how huge Mega City is um, yes. and sort of like the the tension that's going on in, uh, in, in each one of these blocks and stuff like that. Um, even giving background information into Peachtree right before they go in. Um, I love that it wasn't, you know, uh, a sequel to the 95 version, but it was mm -hmm. more, you know, they brought in, you know, Anderson, which is a psychop, which we'd not seen before, which is, you know, yeah. a, a, a separate judge. And for those of you guys that don't know Judge Red out there, it would be similar, like, to not knowing fucking who Archie is, but basically <laughs> you're looking at a dystopian uh, future where they've created sort of like these mega cities and mega city one is pretty much just half of North America. And it, yep. it contains over Washington 800 million people. Yep. And, uh, DC to Boston. Yeah. Yep. And then on the West coast is mega city two. Um, and there's stories with, you know, just dread traveling from one mega city to the other and stuff like that, which are really cool. You have to check those out. But pretty much you have a ton of people into a smaller section of the U.S. And so, you know, a lot of the stuff has fallen. And one of those is, is, is policing. Um, so they've actually taken um, the judge, the, the whole law system and compressed it down to what they call judges. So you have basically street level judges into the, the, the chief justice and, and everyone that sits on a council. Um, and there are still lawyers in that respect, but it's, it's run quite differently. But mm -hmm. street judges can, you know, um, they can ascertain and they can pass judgment right on the spot. So each, each judge can, you know, sentence you to, uh, they have isocubes, uh, which mm -hmm. I'm assuming are similar to like cryostasis, uh, cryostasis um, and they can sentence you for whatever crime there is, um, all the way up to, to death, um, and then just carry it out right on the spot themselves. They have a little bit more liberty with that. And so they're trying to deal with this dystopian uh, future that they're in. And so I think with Dread 2012, it does a better job at showing sort of like this compressed city and sort of that mm -hmm. tension that comes along with people just kind of brushing up on each other. Like, honestly, and, and it's so believable because I grew up in a city, right? So, growing, you know, going to Times Square when I was younger was kind of cool and whatever it is, but you'd have places in the city where... It, you can almost be by yourself, but not quite. Yeah. Um, but there's so many people in that area of Times Square, so many people in that small section that now when I go back to visit, I swear to God, I want to kill every single one of them <laughs> because they're just on top of you. And there's just no courtesy. There's nothing. There's just, it, you feel that tension. And in this particular movie, this particular storyline for Dread 2012, you feel that tension. And when you walk into Peachtree, and that one building unit has 75,000 people living in it, they're going to be on top of each other. And the poverty level, oh, yeah. what was it? It was um, the unemployment level was 95% in that building. <laughs> I'm like, how the fuck are they living in there? It has to be wow. like freaking a welfare state. Slow-mo. Yeah, slow-mo. 
So yeah, all right. So so yeah, definitely. So I think the rated R because that movie I think didn't even make its money back. First of all, oh yeah, um, and it had a smaller budget than the '95 one. So this one I think was Lionsgate, where it wasn't Disney. Um, so it was a smaller, but I think the rated R, and I mean it was it, it deserved rated R because some of those scenes where those people were dying was fuck what that guy being tossed off on the freaking 200th floor <laughs> and then landing, landing. It wasn't even like a thump; it was a splat. Like that's how right. flat he was. Or um, uh, or how uh, how Lena Headey goes out too, you know, you know that that sequence as well, and and when you kind of see that happen, and um, and again, she does a great job too. Somebody who I think is you know plays a lot of roles where her beauty is is a key figure of it, and then for her to be like, yeah, scar me up. yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, there was so much that I really, really liked about the movie. I just like the, I do like the dark aspect of it. Um, uh, you know, bringing in Cy Anderson. So these were the psychops, and they deal mostly with um, precog and telepathy as well. And her reading him in the room, and then the chief judge is saying, "Okay, that's enough." Like she was getting to lock him down as to who he was um, in this mm-hmm. particular movie. Um, and then, so she's a rookie. So basically, the story for this one is. You know, he's talking to the chief judge who wants um, Dredd to take this uh, rookie out um, on a live for assignment assessment. for assessment because yeah, for assessment. She's, she's already she's failed by three points. Um, right. But the chief counsel wants to give her another shot. So they want to give her a real test in, in a real environment. And but you're right. I think in that respect, because Judge Dredd is black and white. There's either you broke the law or you didn't break the law. You pass or you didn't pass. And so he's telling the chief justice that, no, she didn't. It's not marginal. She failed. Um, so why are they giving yeah. her a chance? And then they go through that whole little test of, you know, oh, she's a mutant kind of thing, blah, blah. And so basically he's taking her on an assignment. And what's funny is that she actually p- picks Peachtree as their first assignment. And then we get to find out what the whole story is about the slow-mo drug being produced in this building them having the whole thing and the mama clan running the whole thing. And they're basically going, it's almost like, uh, did you ever see the movie, the raid? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So the movie where they're going up each level and shit like that to get to the top level or even the game of death with Bruce Lee. It's similar. Yes, of course. Classic. Yeah. Uh, It's very, very video game structured, which I think is actually smart uh, for, for trying to reach audiences, which unfortunately it didn't reach. But it does, you know, it feels like, you know, level by level, boss level, things like that. Very, but I like it because it really works well for the tension of this movie. And, um, and again, the way you get to know the characters and the way it kind of almost plays out in real time. It almost feels like you're in there for that hour with them as everything is playing out. I feel there's jarring time jumps, uh, which really, again, adds to the pacing of the tension. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it it almost plays off in real time, which is great. Um, yeah, and then as far as like accuracy from you know the adaptation of the designs, I thought um, the designs were a little bit more uh, structured for reality and in, in Dread twenty twelve because they were really dark. I mean, it did have like shoulder pads and stuff like that, but it weren't these huge mm-hmm. gold things. Um, yes, it, it felt almost like like, like army gear. Uh, the lawgiver yeah. was freaking fantastic. Uh, yeah. The Lawn Master bike was freaking awesome because it was streamlined, <laughs> uh, which was great. And then, to me, the helmet in this particular movie was much more accurate than the helmet in the 95 yeah. film because it had that little cross um, section in the front. Um, I took the helmet off. 
but he did such a great right. job of conveying whatever emotion dread conveys. So you have, you know, 50 types of anger. He can convey all 50 types of anger because that's all he really is. He's just whole scale, quarter scale, half scale, yeah. <laughs> which is fantastic. But yeah, like I was saying before, I think you were right in regards to his journey of, you know, being this black and white, yes or no kind of, you know, judge to letting go of some of that because there's a little bit of gray line somewhere in there. And I think it was it was Anderson's influence of what she was doing, how she was answering yeah. his questions throughout the movie that kind of made him more human and more relatable. Still a hard ass, still going to pass judgment, <laughs> but not going to be so quick to judgment with a lot of yeah. the, the things um, towards the end of this movie. So, yeah, to me, 2012, I, I like both of them a lot, and I like them for different reasons. And I think the time in which they were made, they were accurate for that particular time. Absolutely. How, however, yeah. I will say this. I think the 2012 Dread was just a little ahead of its time um, because that mm. hard R rating hurts films because now you limit kids from seeing that and it's just going to be adults. And I yeah. think, you know, at that time, if we're looking at 2012 and the popularity of Avengers, it was mostly those people who read those comics that were like coming in droves and there's tons of them um, coming mm. in droves. And even Judge Dredd in the comics is not, you know, uh, PG-13. It, it's a hard team to mature comic. So I think that that type of reader yeah. that reads Judge Dredd is not the same one that's reading Avengers um, or, or those other titles kind of thing. So I think if, if it waited a couple more years, I think there would have been a different result for that particular movie, but because it was butting heads against these more grown-up yet PG-13 movies, it, it, it just fell to the wayside um, in that respect. I mean, it didn't do horrible, but it didn't make its money back. And I think to this day is definitely one of uh, the best interpretations of, you know, an adaptation of a comic movie. Um, mm. I, I'm out there. I'm going to watch that shit again today. Right, right. I just watched it again this morning, and I'm like, I, I gotta watch this again tonight. Um, I just, I think it's just uh, helmeted head and and eagle, subdued eagle shoulders above the Stallone version. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, that, one, that was a little, that was tough. But uh, I just, as a movie, it has what uh, Richard Donner. Uh, used uh, the catchword that he used for the first Superman movie, verisimilitude, where everything in that world fits, everything in that mm. world works. That's what I love about this. This, like I said before, like, you really feel like you're in this, you're in this city, you're in this building. You're, 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 you know, the details of to what characters are wearing, to the graffiti on the walls. I love like early on. There's just one one wall that I think Judge Anderson walks by, and the graffiti is just says shit. And I just, I love, you know, I just love those touches. Uh, it just feels more, more real than the Stallone one, which I, again, I feel is like, uh, you know, like I said before, textbook example of comic book movie excess. Uh, this is just, right. this is such, this has verisimilitude. Everything about this movie really, really worked for me. And not only is it just a great comic adaptation with, you know, again, not being a direct adaptation of any specific 
story or material, uh, but the essence of that character in that world. Uh, I think it's just a it's a it's a slam bang movie too. I just think as a movie, it's really good and really well constructed. Yeah, yeah, and and obviously it played. If if you didn't know that Dread came from a comic or a magazine strip, right? There was no reference to that. There was no like comic book pages in the beginning of this movie, anything like that. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you can. You don't even have to know that it was a comic book movie. Um, and no, respect. Danny score. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I would definitely check it out. Like I said, I think it was just a slightly ahead of its time. I think if it would have been really successful, I think we would have gotten a sequel that would have been probably even greater um, yeah. and told even more story, which I, you know, sadly, we're never going to get. Um, yeah. I hope down the line, though, that we do get another iteration of dread of some sort um because i think we're ripe and ready for something that's not it's not super mainstream here i know that it's huge in in britain and stuff like that um and we've had i mean there's been uh licenses for it i think the first one what the hell was the first one called it was an eclipse i, I had it here before um uh, but you know there were there were different definitely different iterations of comics i mean idw had it for some time dc, DC had yeah. it with the crossover with batman and stuff like that i had the freaking four issue it. mini with the crossover predator which is phenomenal and dc was publishing uh, uh monthly dc was publishing monthly judge dread right around the time of the movie as well i believe yeah yeah i just think the titles weren't doing First well one. because they weren't written by wagner that's right. the thing that hurts it. I mean, you have the person that creates it. They just know the ins and outs of, of that character. And it's, it's similar to like, like people love Lobo, but he doesn't have a ton of shit out there. There's no, there's not a ton of solo titles of him because I mean, if it's not, uh, who is it? Keith Smith? No, Keith, uh, what the hell's his name? Keith the creators? Yeah, Given. Keith uh, Given. Uh, yep. And uh, Beasley drew him, right? Or something uh, like Beasley that. Beasley was, oh, yeah, he wasn't a- but he was he left his stamp on the character a hundred percent on the character yeah. yeah so if you know the character in and out it works really really well and i think when you have niche characters like this they have to be written a certain way or else they just fall to the wayside and it just doesn't make sense um and you know having wagner as a creator and really understanding uh the beats of this particular character the little nuances and stuff like that like drock and mm-hmm. the language that they use is fucking hilarious whenever i'm reading <laughs> it um and they used it in freaking the 95 film but didn't use any yeah. of it in the 2012 film because it's right. it's fucking silly as shit um, <laughs> but yeah we do get something down the line of another uh iteration of, of dread because he's just such a good character to just yeah. not have on the screen and that's i mean there's a shitload of content to choose from because you have like the freaking the, the robot wars you have the cursed earth stuff so that you can play with you have the side wars you have the freaking the, the death judges i mean there's a ton of stuff out there that they can play yeah. with so yeah really good stuff uh we definitely recommend the 2012 for sure 95 is a reference if you're a Stallone fan you're gonna love it no matter what but you're gonna see i would actually <laughs> recommend both that way you can compare what the two are um yeah but as far as you know adaptation from book to screen uh 2012 one of the best as far as like sort of like that hard r because when i when i think of judge dread and and, you know passing judgment and it's death yeah it's going to be right on the spot and it's not going to be pretty and then they're just going to call they don't even call fucking uh, the coroner's office they call meat wagons because they're just going to pick up meat that's it so yeah 
Uh-huh. Yeah, if you like, if you like watching people uh, get shot in the through the face in super slow motion, like this is your movie. <laughs> There's no doubt. Oh, dude, yeah, like the when when they did when they that first time they used the slow mo in the van and everything's yeah. just like slow and the guy's like yelling at him slow and all of a sudden it just picks up speed again and you're back into reality. I was like, holy shit, that was cool. Um, but I know when guys, I know bullet goes through the guy's cheeks. That's uh, dude some of it was really graphic like some of that stuff i turned away with at the first time and i was like holy shit oh like even the bullet going into the gut because everything was slow motion so you saw the ripples of the bullet into the belly Uh, you know you know know how they film that they uh they shot air cannons at those guys oh that makes sense so they at the guy's belly so they filmed the ripple and then they put in like the blood and stuff later uh, but yeah, so they they shot the air cannon and 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 did it in super slow mo. Oh my god, that was insane! Oh. <laughs> All right, well there you have it, guys. Two movies that you can definitely watch, compare and contrast. Um, I don't know if every movie that we're going to review has two movies that you can compare and contrast, but this one did. Um, and we highly recommend uh, both of them for for different reasons. Um, and if you're a Dread fan, you've probably already seen them. If you haven't, um, give them a shout. So ninety five Judge Dread and twenty twelve just titled dread all right that is all that we have for you this week if you like what you're hearing um then yeah make sure you click subscribe to the podcast oh before that here i'm gonna make a recommendation all right so i'm gonna put it out there already in the universe so the last thursday of february we're gonna do spawn bro we gotta okay, do you it. Get spawn? just get, all right. get out of the way yeah so spawn has only one movie but it does have an ad- animation adaptation as well so yes. we'll talk a little bit about both, like the animation adaptation, Good. and we'll definitely talk about the movie um, because I got to give some Todd McFarlane love because, I mean, this is the first comic that I bought with my own money. I know I say oh, that with freaking so much, uh, but it is true. So yeah, Spawn next month. If you've not seen it, go see it, and then uh, we'll chat. Uh, cool. All right, so yeah, so click subscribe to the podcast if you like, enjoy like. Uh, which is uh, hearing. Um, also, listen, if you want to make a recommendation for a movie and or comic that you want reviewed, give it to us. Um, and you can do it one of two ways. You can go to amazingactioncomics.com slash podcast and fill out the form. And then in that box, it says message, just your recommendations for any movies that you'd like us to review. They have to be graphic novel you know, adaptations and not mainstream movies or mainstream comics. Um, right. and or, you know, uh, a comic book that you've read that, you know, maybe we can pick up that we missed along the way. Or there's a link down below uh, that has uh, amazing action comics slash message. And you could just leave us a voicemail message on whatever you want us to, to review. So either way, um, yeah, we'll, we'll take recommendations and we'll work them in whenever we can. So you have two ways to recommend movies and or comics that way. Um, if you're a creator and want to be on the podcast, Go to amazingactioncomics.com slash podcast. Fill out the form. We'd love to have you on to talk about you and all the projects you have coming up. Uh, make sure you visit Amazing Action Comics to stay up to date on everything that we got going on over there. And like I said last week, we've got some stuff rolling and some stuff out there already in the universe that you can get your hands on um, that we've got created. Uh, be sure to support your local comic book shops because if they're not around, we're not around and you want us around forever. Uh, yeah, just uh, go visit your pop culture shops and show them some love. Uh, buy a whole bunch of amazing action comic stuff. Oh, if they don't have it there, just tell them that you want it. And they'll come to our site, they'll get it, and you'll have it. How fantastic is that? Um, yeah, Phil, where do you get your comics from? 
Well, I get my comics at The Joker's Child in Fairlawn, New Jersey. And you know what's great about comics? What better way to relive a movie experience than reading the comic book adaptation of it? This was something that was very common way before digital streaming and DVDs, and uh, but it lasted well into the VHS days. And there are tons of great comic book movie adaptations that you can find at the Joker's Child or your local comic shop. I believe there's even an adaptation of the Stallone uh, Judge Dredd film, as well as other comics that just sort of continue or prequelize your favorite movies and properties. So, uh, yeah. If you are hesitant about the world of comics, but there's a movie that you like or a TV show that you like, let that be your in to reading more comics. There Especially you. if you get them at the Joker's Child. There you go, gang. Wonderful. All right. That's all that we have for you this week, Kitty. So please, until next time, be amazing, stay amazing, and read something amazing. <laughs>